and we we recognize the privilege and responsibility it is to to read your word and think on it and study it and we pray that you would make us sufficient for these things and uh, guide our thoughts and our words and uh, make this hour a, a blessing and a help to uh, to all of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we continue with the study of 2 Corinthians and specifically 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week, we went through the first half, approximately the first half of the chapter, and today we're going to go through the second half of the chapter. So I'll begin by reading it, and so we have that nice screen in the back now. I can read it right off that. So here we go. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I may also boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you are wise, you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatsoever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am also, I am bold also. Wow, a little bit of an eye test here to see if I can follow along. Um, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, or excuse me, in labors, yes, okay, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes save one, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils... My goodness, I am having trouble reading it. Among false brethren, thank you, and I should have known that in America. Among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, and uh, eyes going bad. No, supposedly he had bad eyes, but mine aren't the best. Uh, I'm going to... Thank you. And yeah, my eyes are almost good enough to read back there on that screen. We'll see if I can carry on. The lower part of the screen is a little harder. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast of the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. 
In Damascus, the governor, under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Okay, there we go. Made it through that. To review, this is an outline, not the only possible outline, but this is an outline of 2 Corinthians 11. So we have first Paul's concern for the believer's faithfulness, verses 1 through 4. Paul and the false apostles, verses 5 through 15. And that's what we covered last week. And then we have Paul's reluctant boasting, verses 16 to 21. And finally, Paul's sufferings for Christ, verses 22 to 33. These last two sections I hope to get through today. So we begin in verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. So here he repeats the same thought, not exactly the same words, but the same thought that he expressed in verse, verse 1. Bear with me in a little foolishness. And um, the foolishness that he's talking about here is that of stating his qualifications for the ministry and comparing those qualifications to those of the false teachers who were causing trouble in the church at Corinth. Um, Okay. Um, You know, this is foolish. As Paul has already pointed out, he said early in the chapter, we, we dare not make ourselves of those who compare themselves among themselves and justify themselves by themselves, for they that do such are not wise. So this business of saying, well, my qualifications are better than so-and-so's, or I'm doing better than so-and-so, I'm holier than this person, I'm not as bad as that person, is all foolishness. Comparing ourselves with other Christians. The only possible comparison would be between us and the Lord Jesus, and we always come up infinitely short on that. So the only you know, other comparison might be between us and where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, uh, what, how we've improved the opportunities that we have. So uh, it is inherently foolish to uh, enter into a comparison of ourselves with other people. Well, I'm more qualified as a teacher, and you should listen to me, because my qualifications, my curriculum vita, my resume is more, imp- more uh, impressive than so-and-so's. All rank errant foolishness. But Paul says, bear with me a little bit if I enter into that. Now, why does he need to enter into that? Well, the false teachers in Corinth have been doing this. And as we go along, it is a little bit like hearing a monologue. And monologues are often used humorously, where you gather what the one, you know, you're only hearing one person talking. And the other, per- the other, maybe it's a telephone conversation monologue. And, you know, one person, you hear the one person talking. And it can be, can be kind of funny as you, you realize what the other person on the other end must have said. You know, um, like the person saying, well, no, I don't, you know, so-and-so. I, no, I don't own an elephant. And you're just like, why would the other person say you own it? You know, it's funny, at least depending on your sense of humor. Now, here we're listening to a monologue in a different sort of sense, and it's not funny. I'm going to get some help with my eyes here. Thank you so much. Excellent. It's nice having the screen back there, and I can see definitely what... It's nice that I can see what slides all are on, but 
I need to have a little help. And I actually bring my own uh, computer too and could use that. Um, so thank you. Good. So he's going to remind them his qualifications for the ministry. The, as we go through this second half of the chapter, we're going to see some of the things that the false teachers were doing and saying. As Paul answers these things, we can kind of, as it were, in our mind, hear what they're doing. And they are obviously into the business of making qualification, making comparisons between their qualifications and Paul's. The false teachers have come out, and we can pretty well infer they're Judaizers. And um, they are um, uh, saying, well, our, we're more, you should listen to us instead of Paul. You should not listen to Paul. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. So we're going to teach you better than Paul. We're going to teach you how it should really be. And that our qualifications are better. And this is why we're better spiritual teachers than Paul. And you should listen to us, as we shall see. All right. Verse 17. What I speak, I speak not according to the law, excuse me, not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. That is, in what I'm about to say, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because remember all all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he, and Paul himself wrote that after he wrote this. So uh, Paul is not, I think it was after. Uh, and so Paul is not um, saying that I'm not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in writing this. I think he knew that he was. As in 1 Corinthians, and people get confused when he said, here speak I and not the Lord. Remember back in 1 Corinthians 7? And what he's saying is, here I am speaking now by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not something that our Lord said in his own person when he was present in the flesh on the earth during his earthly ministry. So that's what he meant back there in chapter 7. Now he says, I speak not according to the Lord. Does he mean that this is not inspired by God? Emphatically, no. All scripture is inspired by God. And if Paul's own testimony in, over in uh, 1 Timothy isn't good enough, Peter also assured us that Paul's epistles are scripture. They were, and they were recognized back then. But anyway, so this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, so what I'm about to say, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm giving you an example, not of the Lord's kind of thinking, the, uh, the kind of thinking he showed when he was on the earth. I'm, I'm not giving you an example of that, but rather, I'm giving you, I'm going to give you an example of the world's foolish way of thinking, which is a confidence based on boasting in one's own qualifications. Now, confidence based on boasting in one's own qualifications is foolish. It's not the Lord's way of thinking. That's not the, the way the Lord did things. You know, at the, at the Last Supper, John tells us in his gospel that when Jesus is about to get up and wash the disciples' feet, he knows who he is. He knows that he came from God. He knows that he's going to God. And he doesn't have to say anything about that. He just gets up and takes a towel and starts washing the disciples' feet. That's the example the Lord left for us, not an example of saying, uh, you know, let me tell you about my pedigree. Let me tell you about my curriculum vita. I, I have so many lines on my... No, that's not 
and what it's about. But Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you an example of that. Since we have gotten into this business of comparing qualifications with other people's qualifications and people who say they have better qualifications, listen, if we wanted to do that, I can talk about that too. This is not of the Lord, and it is foolishness because it's comparing ourselves among ourselves. But for a moment, bear with it, he says. Okay? There we go. Verses 18 and 19. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. So it had become necessary for Paul to talk to the Corinthian believers on the inherently foolish subject of his qualifications versus those of the false teachers. Because some within the church of Corinth had been led astray by the false teachers' boasts that they were more qualified to teach spiritual things than Paul was. Verse 24, you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. What brings you into bondage, this uh, term here, uh, katadouloi, uh, literally uh, to, to enslave, to under-slave someone, kata under or, or down, downwards, a douloi slave or servant. So uh, brings you down into bondage. You put up with it. Only appears that expression, only appears in the New Testament one other time. That's in Galatians 2, verse 4, which reads, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, that they might kata douloi us. Uh, if I can uh, mix the languages that way. Uh, so this is another clue that the false teachers at Corinth were engaging in Judaizing and were teaching it's necessary to keep the ceremonial law with all that and all the physical requirements, etc., etc., uh, in order to be saved. That Christ does not save us by grace through faith, repentance, grace through faith, etc., but, uh, but that it's first we have to be Jews and keep all the ceremonial law, etc., etc., and then maybe Christ is of some advantage to us. They will grudgingly allow. This is often the case false religious teachers were abusing and taking advantage of those whom they deceived. Don't they just do that? False religious teachers send money, send money, send money. That's almost their, that's their refrain, you know. Um, all the time, the chorus of every song is send in your money, send in your money. And you know these, these people all over the place. I, I remember, uh, why, I came across it on uh, Facebook, and, or not Facebook, uh, on YouTube. And, uh, you know, sometimes the things that YouTube's uh, uh, algorithm kicks up for you to see, it's like, you thought I wanted to see that? <laughs> but I guess because I'm sort of religious, I guess, uh, YouTube would say, and YouTube doesn't know any difference, but uh, it was uh, a discussion, I was searching for something, it was a discussion by two uh, TV preachers who, and I'm not going to say all TV preachers are necessarily uh, heretical and false, although, uh, well, I'm not going to go further in there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it was a couple of TV preachers who were rich, and they were discussing uh, between them why it was necessary for them to have private jets. And I just, I have to have a private jet. Uh, with money that people donate because if I don't, well, I'll have to read, I'll have to ride on a commercial airliner and uh, in there with all those terrible people and how can I be close to God when I'm in that airliner? And I admit commercial air travel can, 
can exercise our sanctification somewhat, but remember that tribulation worketh patience. And being packed in like cattle could count as tribulation. Okay, I'm saying this slightly tongue-in-cheek, only slightly. But anyway, the false, false teachers often abused pe people, and sometimes in terrible ways. Now, those of us who are older can think back to, what was it, 78, 79, and the Jonestown thing down in Guyana, Jim Jones, and drinking the Kool-Aid. Actually, it was Flavor-Aid. Uh, and it wasn't, of course, Flavor-Aid won't kill you, but what they put in it would. They put in that stuff would. Um, but anyway, um, and I'm, I'm not making any statement regarding the, the nutritional value or lack thereof of any uh, publicly sold beverage, but that, wasn't, that was poison that they were drinking. But Jim Jones got them to drink it, and they did it. It is amazing what cult members will put up with. Speaking of cults, I think I have another cult that was very, uh, very famous, and, or not famous, I don't know, infamous, and widespread back in the 70s, uh, the uh, Unification Church, or wait a minute, yeah, the Unification Church so-called, uh, the followers of Sun Myung Moon, a, uh, a uh, South Korean false Christ, claimed to be a Christ figure. And uh, I remember seeing a Christian film made about a, a young man who had been in the so-called Unification Church in the, as we called them, the Moonies, and uh, had been in there for a time and then had gotten out. And how he told about how badly, how shabbily they treated their cult members and just work you like dogs and not pay you and treat you badly and just all sorts of things. Sounds like these people here. Another example, uh, somewhat more recently in the 1990s, in 1998, I think. I think it was that, seven or eight. Not too far from here, outside Waco, um, and remember heard about the Branch Davidians, and, and I think that um, the government blundered, and, and there was a lot of, of blundering in, in what happened there and what came out. It was just a mess, uh, a big mess. But that group, and you hear about the kind of things that went on in there, um, and, and by the way, the, the McLennan County Sheriff said he could have arrested David Koresh in town in Waco any, any day he wanted. It would have been easy. The guy came in there, so... So um, I think there was a desire on the part of a certain federal agency to, uh, to put on a show, and it didn't, wasn't the kind of show they wanted. But to that, aside from that, what it does sound like David Crush was doing with that group was horrible kinds of abuse. Uh, and amazingly, people put up with it, but they do. Here, and if one devours you, well, takes all your stuff. If one takes from you, actually, you can see the from you is in italics there, so that's supplied by the translators. If one takes... What do they mean? Well, I, I read in the commentators, a couple of different commentators pointed this out, that the Greek word there for takes is, I guess, the same word that's used if a, when a predator animal jumps on its prey. A predator animal pounces on its prey. It's like, uh, like our dog uh, pouncing on his, uh, one of his toys that we throw from the ball that we throw across the backyard. He rears back and pounces on it. That's apparently that. If one takes, if one pounces on you, takes maybe your stuff or whatever, if one exalts himself, obviously at your expense, you put up with it. And if one strikes you on the face, now surely that's figurative? Not necessarily. Remember when Paul was, was uh, being questioned by the Sanhedrin after this, uh, he was being questioned by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. He gave an answer that the chief priest didn't like, and the chief priest said, hit him in the face. And they did. And um, so they may have been going around slapping people in the face, and 
false religious leaders will do that kind of thing. They revel in that because they're of their father, the devil. That's a kind of harsh thing to say, but I'm afraid it's true. So um, anyway, false religious leaders treat their people very badly. And we're probably, you can see, you can imagine and see in your mind's eye all these things going on. The false teachers saying, we're real uh, rabbis. We are genuine teachers of the law, the Old Testament law. These are the real scriptures. And uh, you have to obey this law. And if you don't, you know, we might slap you in the face. And you need to give us your money because we have a proper respect for the dignity that's due to a teacher of the law, to a, to a real prestigious rabbi who's been trained in, in elocution and, uh, and uh, rhetoric. Well, uh, you can imagine them going on at that rate. And Paul says, you, you, you guys are putting up with this. You're letting them do this to you. Well, maybe you'll bear with me for just a few minutes of pointing out that if we want to start comparing qualifications, I can, I can keep up with them in that. Onwards to verse 21. To our shame, I say, and he's being ironic here, to our shame, I say that we are, we're too weak for that. But whenever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So apparently some of the Corinthians have been persuaded to believe that the false teacher's abuse of them was actually a sign of strength. And Paul says, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're ashamed to admit we were too weak to go around slapping you guys upside the head and taking your money and abusing you and exalting ourselves and doing all that sort of thing uh, that you have been persuaded somehow by these false teachers to think is a sign of their strength and that they're really men of God a true man of God, because they use you so badly. Does this, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to cults, but this almost resonates with things that you hear coming out of cults, that the leaders who abuse the people tell the people that my abuse of you shows that I'm really a leader who's from God. And Paul says, well, yeah, I'm ashamed to say we were, we were too weak to do that to you. Obviously, he's being ironic. It wasn't weakness. He says, now, if you want to get into boldness, I'll be bold with whoever wants to be bold. Onwards to verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Yeah, I've got that too. Uh, in terms of pedigree, of nationality, cultural, culture, or religious heritage, Paul was the equal of any of the false teachers. Now, this business of comparing pedigrees, you know, elsewhere, Paul tells Timothy not to get into disputes about genealogies. It just leads to endless disputes. Let's don't dispute about genealogies. But at least Paul is doing this much. Look, they say, we're Hebrews. Yeah, well, I'm that. Check. Israelites, check. Seed of Abraham, check. Yeah, I'm all of that. So what's, what's special about them? But they were so ready to tell you their religious heritage. And, and we don't have to debate them on that point. Because our, the truth that we believe, the truth that we believe does not depend on our religious pedigree. It, it would be true if we didn't have any religious pedigree at all. If we were, um, if we were all just a bunch of, of you know, lost sinners, far from Christ, without hope and without God in the world, and uh, going along and 
we discovered a copy of the Bible. One of us said, you know, I found this book. And we started reading it and, and shared it around. We read it and we realized this is true. This answers all of our philosophical questions, not one by one. As Francis Schaeffer said, when he, as an 18-year-old atheist, committed atheist, 18-year-old, read the Bible, and he said, this answered all my philosophical questions. Not as though every philosophical question was a, a, a helium balloon up there, and, and they shot them all down with a BB gun one by one. It pulls them all together in a net and takes care of them all like that. This is true. This is the word of God. If we, if we came in and we believed that, this is the true word of God. And we said, we're gonna, it says here, we're supposed to have an assembly. So we, we're supposed to assemble together regularly. And it looks like the early church did that on Sundays. Let's meet every Sunday and assemble and praise God and pray and, and read and teach his word. And we did that. And we weren't here in, what is it? This is the oldest Baptist church in, uh, Tarrant, or in uh, Dallas. No, we're in Dallas County. Anyway, pretty old all the way back to Bear Creek Baptist Church in the 1850s. That goes back a ways. Uh, well, even if that wasn't the case, but you know, we'd still have the truth, and none of the truth would be any different. Now, there are groups that go around today. I can think of a couple of big groups, big and old groups, and they'll tell you, well, our church, as they say, our church is the real true one because we are descended in right line from the apostles. And we have the apostolic succession going for us. This is the true church of the apostles. It goes back farther than anybody else's church. You know, what that tends to mean is, you know, we were directly descended from the very first group to depart from the doctrine and practice of the apostles. You know, somebody started doing it some other way than what the apostles were doing it, teaching it some other way when the apostles do it, and here we are. We've been sticking to that way ever since, maybe adding a few things. We don't need to argue with them and just say, well, we go back to whenever. We don't, doesn't matter. We, we could, but we don't need to. Uh, we have God's word, and it goes back farther because the Bible tells us, in Psalm 119, that God's word is settled forever in heaven, before in eternity, when, I sometimes you say in eternity past, but there really isn't eternity past, it's just eternity. In eternity, before God created space and time and man, God's word, which is an emanation of God's own nature, God's word was settled in heaven. That's even before the council of whatever, it goes way back there. We've got God's word. That's what we have. Connection with the apostles, we've got the Bible. We've got God's word. That connects us with the apostles, all written by the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to, we, you know, yeah, bring out your pedigree. We, we, can, we can top that. And now they will say, oh, oh, but the Bible, the Bible. Our church decided what the Bible was back in 392 or 382 or whatever it was at the Council of So-and-So where they said, these books are the Bible. Well, if they got it right, bully for them. And they got some of them right. They actually included some books in there that aren't inspired. So, so much for any church supposedly creating the Bible. The fact is, 
God's people recognized God's word by the, by the aid of God's spirit when they saw it. And uh, all the way back there where Peter is writing, and he says, uh, in, Paul's apost- in Paul's epistles are some things hard to be understood. Yeah, we know. In Paul's epistles are some things hard to be understood, which unstable men twist to the destruction of their own souls as they do the rest of Scripture. So Peter's saying, Paul's epistles are Scripture. So um, we've got that. Nobody needs to boast of their pedigree of spiritual truth or whatever it is that they've got uh, with us. All right. Whoops, did I skip? Yes, I did. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. I speak as a fool here. This is actually a stronger expression that he's used before. Uh, He's saying, as one beside himself, like a crazy person. So it was, as Paul admitted, just crazy, a crazy way to think. Uh, But if the validity of one's ministry rested on what he had done and what he had suffered, Paul could claim to be more of a minister of Christ than were the false teachers. So on their uh, way of calculation, using their way of reckoning, I'm more of a minister than they are. Of course, their way of reckoning is a crazy way to figure out who's a minister of Christ. It's who's following God's word. That's, that's the true way. But, uh, you know, if you want to go into this crazy way of figuring out who's a minister, fine. I can, I can top you in that. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Here he begins to unpack the expression, uh, stripes above measure. None of the five beatings by the Jews are recorded in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts isn't giving us an exhaustive story of that. This is written uh, well the, before the book of Acts comes to an end. So, so this is during the period covered by the book of Acts. But Luke didn't figure to tell us the five times that Paul got 39 stripes from the Jews. Um, all in a day's work for a missionary, I guess. Um, I think some missionaries today uh, have it a little easier than the Apostle Paul did, and I'm sure they're thankful for that. I know the missionaries, they, they suffer things that, um, that we don't have to. They pay a price for what they do. I uh, came across a, a good uh, a little video clip just uh, Friday. It was a, a young, I <laughs> think of him as a young man. He was, he's older than me by about 15 years. Uh, but uh, he was a young man in a church that my dad pastored back in, uh, in Illinois and uh, felt called to the ministry and sort of um, uh, is now he's, of course, since he's 15 years older than I am, he's almost starting to get old. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to be 60 this week, so there we go. But, uh, oh, and I decided I, I appreciate the offer to go swimming with the sharks. I've come to the conclusion that I am not as precocious as, as Judy and uh, I am going to have to get much more mature before I'm ready to go in swimming with the sharks. Uh, oh, oh no, no! I see you're you're way ahead of me. It's a well-known fact that that young women mature faster than guys, and they're they're all grown up, and I'm still a kid. So uh, call me when I'm 90 or 95, and we'll talk about that uh, if I make it that far. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll just stick with my mountains. They don't bite usually. But uh, anyway, uh, no, but Tom is, is pretty old now. I guess he must be in his mid-70s, and he's uh, an evangelist in, in that denomination that uh, 
he came up in. And he shares these little Friday focus on faith, faith these little two-minute devotionals. And uh, this one was about uh, the way to the cross, and he used an illustration. And then um, talking about uh, uh, sacrifice. There, there ne- it needs to cost me something to serve the Lord. Not that I earn my salvation by no means. Not that I earn God's favor, certainly not. But, but serving the Lord, you know, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. And it's a joy to give, it's, it's a delight, but there, there should be sacrifice involved. And joyful sacrifice, happy, I'm glad to do this. I uh, wouldn't have it any other way, but it needs to cost us something to serve the Lord. And it cost Paul something to serve, cost modern missionaries, but my goodness, five beatings by the Jews. 39 stripes was their standard maximum uh, whipping that they would give out. Uh, the Bible said n- not to give more than 40 stripes, the Old Testament law. So they said, well, we're going to do better than that. Just to be on the safe side, we'll only give 39. They said sometimes people died from that. Paul got it five times, all in a day's work, apparently. Three beatings with rods. This was done by the Roman authorities, and Paul was supposed to be immune to that because he was a Roman citizenship. Sometimes his Roman citizenship did spare him from beatings with rods. Um, but sometimes not. At Philippi, they just grabbed him, and, he, and uh, Silas was with him there, and they beat them with rods. And uh, they, they gave them this, uh, this beating that they weren't really supposed to do because I guess Silas was also a Roman citizen. Paul certainly was. And uh, they didn't even bother to ask. They just These guys teaching this strange religion can't possibly be Romans. You remember that when they were uh, the town fathers then sent to have them let out, Paul said, well, they've beaten us. Uh, uncondemned, being Roman citizens, and the town fathers, uh-oh, uh, now we're in trouble. And so they uh, came and, and asked them nicely, if you could perhaps move on. We're very sorry about the little oversight the other day. Uh, but apparently two, uh, excuse me, uh, two other times, Paul was beaten with rods by the Roman authorities, uh, and that, would, that didn't even make it into the book of Acts. Imagine that, you know, if they, you're a missionary and they write your missionary biography someday and, and it's not even worth mentioning all the times that you got beaten within an inch of your life. Because that's just, you know, you don't want to put in the boring stuff that happens every day. Wow. Um, so that, that happens. And that did happen sometimes. It was not unique. Uh, sometimes uh, people would break the rules like that. Uh, then uh, the stoning, he mentions he was stoned. That was at Lystra on his first missionary journey. It shows how fickle the mob is. One minute, they were well, one, one day they're ready to make to offer sacrifices to him as a god, and then the next, you turn around, and the Jews have showed up, and they've egged them on to stone him. And they stoned him, and they left him for dead outside the city, dragged him outside the city, dumped him there, as they thought, his corpse, and uh, he got up and, and walked away. Uh, the book of Acts records, remember, you can read in the book of Acts about how Paul got shipwrecked on the island of Malta, or Melita, as I think the uh, old King James says. So that's one of them? No, that's not one of them. That hadn't happened yet. The, the shipwreck on Malta hadn't happened yet when he wrote this. So the other three shipwrecks, that's all extra too. Wow. This is a lot. <laughs> Poor fellow. Um, I am glad uh, that... The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, and I'm trying to think of the worst thing any ever, anybody's ever done to me. For I've gotten turned down for a few jobs, I guess, because specifically people found out I was a Christian. That's the worst that's ever happened to me. Haven't even been stoned, not even once. 
uh, or beaten with rods, whipped, or any of that stuff. Not shipwrecked. Had a hard landing once in an airplane, but the, the landing gear held up, and, and uh, you know, just, it was easy, you know. Um, Paul had been shipwrecked, and a night and a day he had been in the deep. That means, uh, so that means he was in the ocean without a ship. So there in the Mediterranean. Fortunately, fortunately, the Mediterranean is warm enough that you can survive that. You don't get hypothermia that long. Of course, anywhere the water's not cold enough to give you hypothermia, it's not cold enough to keep the sharks away. Sharks didn't get him, and there he was. And, of course, probably holding on to a plank, and as one commentator said, with nothing but a plank between him and death. He was in the deep, and then you get that idea. The bottom down there is a long way down, and there's nothing to stop you going there except this plank that you're hanging on. And, and you know the Coast Guard is not coming. No Coast Guard helicopters. So, and just out there, I don't know how he, we don't not even told how he ever got out of the water. Maybe another ship came along and fished him out. Or he got where some fishing boats were. Or maybe he fetched up on the land or something like that. We don't know. I expect it was quite a prayer meeting there for uh, for a while. Quite a thing. Verse 26. And journeys often in perils in waters and perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen and perils of the Gentiles and perils in the city and perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren. He was always traveling, wasn't he? Traveling to these churches all the time. And we talk, you know, we talk about praying for, for traveling mercies for somebody, and, and we do. I mean, there's, there's dangers, you know, you could wreck or whatever, but we don't have anything like they do now. Fact is, 50 years ago, you were in more danger uh, mile for mile of, of being killed in a car wreck than is the case now. And people still get killed in car wrecks. But, wow, this is something... Perils of waters, the waters here refers to rivers. The rivers in Asia Minor were rather um, like some of our rivers out to the west of here, where it could be a dry wash or a little trickle of water, and then suddenly, you don't know it, but there was a thunderstorm, a huge cloudburst up in the mountains, and suddenly, you've, maybe you've seen some videos of these scenes, and the river just swells, and you're in the midst of it, and you're uh, maybe washed away. Perils of waters. Perils of robbers. Yeah, there were a lot of highwaymen on the roads uh, in those days. And, and there was nothing that said that they necessarily had to just take your money. They might just kill you too, or beat you up, or both, or all of the above, whatever. Um, perils of robbers and perils of my own countrymen. I mean, you would think if anybody would treat him decently. It was always nice when you're in a foreign country to meet a fellow American. Well, it wasn't always nice. Sometimes, a lot of times it was nice. You know, there's a fellow American, and, and sometimes, sometimes they're embarrassing you. Um, you know, just uh, I could tell various stories, but just they wouldn't be that helpful. But, you know, when you're, you're traveling abroad, and sometimes it's a, an encouragement, and sometimes it's an embarrassment. Um, but for Paul, sometimes it was worse. It was, um, they would... Get him. You know how the Jews were always the first ones to take after him. He'd come to a town. He'd start preaching the gospel. The Jews would hear what he was preaching, and and they would uh, get up a crowd and and um, have him mobbed. And uh, they they were uh, behind his persecution in Damascus. We're going to tell about in a minute in Lystra, where he was stoned, in Thessalonica, and in Berea. They were always chasing him out of town. But sometimes the Gentiles chased them out of town. Uh, perils 
in the, of the Gentiles. And there I mentioned Philippi already, where he was beaten with rods, he and Silas, and locked up in the prison, and there was the earthquake and so forth. And, of course, that all started when there was that young woman who was demon-possessed, who was uh, going around, following them around, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who declare to you the way of salvation. Totally true. And something that Paul and Silas might themselves have told people, listen, we are servants of the Most High God, and we're telling you the way of salvation. The problem was, we don't want the devil's testimony for us, thank you very much. We don't want that. And that was, um, you can think of some ways that uh, the name of Christ has been bandied about in recent weeks that have not that have been, to say the least, unhelpful. But uh, there, the, when the Paul cast out the demon and that woman and the owners got mad because they were out of some money and they turned on him and yeah and then of course at Ephesus uh, Paul was teaching against uh, idols and the manufacturer's local favorite idol there Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians they uh, saw that their trade was being you know the guys are going to hurt the commerce so uh, we're uh, creating quite a bit of trouble for him there there arose no small stir about the way and then of the false brethren, who were the Judaizers, pretending to be Christians, but not, as we saw in that passage, uh, the verse I read from Galatians. False brethren pretend to be Christians. In fact, they just want to come in and teach the Christians not to be Christians anymore and to be the worst kind of Jews instead. And in all kinds of places, Paul had to contend with these. These seemed to be just like mosquitoes in Minnesota. They were always there, and Corinth was no exception. Verse 27, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. So quite a contrast here to the luxury in which prominent rabbis were expected to live. And apparently these false teachers were doing a lot of the, hey, look at us, we're real rabbis. We have a proper respect for ourselves and for our role as super important religious teachers, like super, super better than the apostles. So we demand to have nice food, nice conditions, you need to pay for us, you need to support us. And, and of course, that was rubbish. That was nonsense. But that was what they were giving out. And Paul says, that's not what I live. That's not what I live at all. And he says, verse 28, besides the other things, what, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation, so Paul also carried, along with all these outward things, he also carried a burden of his concern for all the churches and for all of the souls who composed those churches. I wonder, you know, Paul must have known so many believers. He might, yeah, you, could, you could spend a lot of time in prayer just naming them off, you know, and Lord, please help, brother, so-and-so at the church in Thessalonica. He struggles with this temptation and help him. And then sister so-and-so, and you know that she's got this physical affliction and help her. And Paul dealt with that all the time. And you know, burdens that we carry, especially for the spiritual needs of others, usually cannot be shared with anyone else except with the Lord. And sometimes, you know, it makes, it makes a burden lighter when we can share it with others. But a lot of times, if we have a burden for someone else's spiritual need, uh, we may, you know, share that with a spouse sometimes. Um, but Sometimes we just have to share it with the Lord and, and let that be sufficient. And Paul bore that all himself. So in verse 30 he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which confer, concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. 
So Paul has no taste for boasting of his qualifications. As one commentator says, he can't keep it up even for a few verses of boasting about his, his qualifications. He really comes back to, but I'm weak. Uh, instead, he wants to boast of times when he was weak and he was in need and God was strong on his behalf. And, and that's what he goes into immediately next and gives him an example here in the last two verses of the chapter. And Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with the garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Uh, as an example, so here Paul tells a story of one of his many narrow escapes. And we gather by now, this, man, this poor man has had many narrow escapes. And Acts 9 tells us about this story. It says that the Jews were plotting to kill Paul, and apparently they had succeeded and getting the governor to come in on their plot, too, or they had gotten him kind of into their, into what they wanted him to do. The word for desiring here, I'm told in the commentaries, is, is a little weaker than the original Greek word uh, that's used uh, there in the original Greek. Uh, the governor was bound and determined to get Paul. He was craving to get Paul, bound and determined to have him, and the Jews were meant to see to it that Paul didn't get away alive. But by God's help and, and the help of some of God's people that God used, Paul was brought out of the city. And it wasn't perhaps a very dignified way to leave the city. It wasn't going out of the city, you know, um, in, in splendor. They aren't going to see you off with a 21-gun salute or whatever it is that they do to see you off if they really like you or ride out on a horse into the sunset. He doesn't get a horse at all. He gets a basket. And they let him down from the wall. And, you know, in a basket there, you're pretty helpless. You're not controlling where you're going. You're just in the basket, being lowered from the wall. But the bottom line was that Paul had faithfully proclaimed God's word, although he had had no power to save himself. I suppose even then, and this is at the beginning of his ministry, he must have known the Jews weren't going to like, he knew the Jews weren't going to like this, and he knew what the Jews were capable of doing, because he had been trying to do a lot of it himself. And had He said he had persecuted the church. And he'd gone to Damascus originally, but his first, uh, you know, well, the time he came up there and met the Lord, uh, with letters from the chief priests to the synagogues up there to have the believers bound and bring them back to Jerusalem for severe punishment. He had held the coats of those who had stoned Stephen. He completely knew what the Jews were capable of. And he knew that he didn't have the power to save himself, but he had declared God's word anyway, declared the truth of the gospel and couldn't save himself, but God saved him. And that's what he wanted to boast of. So if I boast, I'll boast that I'm weak and God is strong. Um, I'm one of his little ones. He is, I'm weak, but he is strong. I, I can't do much for myself, but when I am weak, then I am strong. And we'll get this on in the next chapter. You know, he has infirmities, he has weaknesses. And here he is, he's just a, a certain man, as the, you know, the Bible says about the man left on the on Jericho Road, just, just a man uh, who's going on his way, and uh, things happen to him. And in this case, he was just Paul, uh, and God used him. God said, I'm going to show him what he must suffer and how I'm going to send him to give my word to the Gentiles. And Paul went. And so with us. Again, I don't think God is looking for um, well, depending on the sense in which you understand this word, in man's sense of the word, certainly, no, I don't think God is looking for what, what in man's sense of the word are great men, great leaders who are um, 
you know, big names. I think God is looking for faithful men and women uh, in the various places to which he calls them to ministries small or large, to be faithful, as Paul was faithful, recognizing I'm small, I'm weak, I can do little, I'm not sufficient of myself to think anything of myself, but God makes me sufficient by his grace, and my sufficiency is of him. All right, thank you for your attention. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your presence with us and your presence in us, in the person of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for making us sufficient by your grace to live for you and serve you faithfully. And we pray that you would help us to do that more and more, uh, that we might someday hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray now that you would bless in the service to follow. Be with your servant as he speaks your word. Give him the words to speak. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand and obey all that you would say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.